We're going to be going over some more of the uh, lessons that we've been uh, speaking on, the aspects of our worship assembly uh, this morning. Uh, not too long ago, Brother Brandon gave us a lesson over the, the, the tabernacle or the synagogue, and we looked at the aspects of that. Uh, Brother Zane speaked on singing, and this morning I'm going to uh, talk to you for a little bit about communion. 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 15 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from thy child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make one wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now this is, uh, scriptures is something that we need to know how we conduct our worship assembly. Uh, one of the reasons why we are going over all these things, how we, how we sing, how we commune, how we pray, how we teach. Uh, there are a lot of different ways people worship. I don't know how many different denominations are in Wheeler alone, but there's more than just Church of Christ. And the reason being, we all look at scriptures and we all interpret it differently. But, but why is that? Is it a lack of study? Is it a lack of knowledge? A lot of it, I think, has to do with our ancestors. And whenever I say ancestors, I mean immediate parents. What did your children teach you, or what did your parents teach you whenever you were children? You know, well, I do something because that's the way that mom and dad did it. And so... Forgo for a little bit about what you have learned as a child and look at it in Scripture to find out if that, those things are true. That's what one of the things we must do uh, as Christians is get into the Word and look at it very closely, scrutinize it, make sure it lines up with other Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with what Mom and Dad taught you, then Mom and Dad were wrong. And that's something that's very hard to say sometimes seek out the truth what is communion why do we partake of it what is the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine what does it mean how often should we partake of communion you know there's a lot of congregations out there that take of it you know once a year quarterly on special occasions whenever they feel like it there are some congregations out there that do not partake of communion at all is communion essential for your salvation that's a final question that we're going to try to answer this morning uh, you can Find Christ instituting the Lord's table and just in all the Gospels. Uh, I chose Luke. Um, in Luke chapter 22, verses number 14 through 17, it says, And when the hour was cometh, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it. And gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is broken, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. We see this uh, at this moment, Christ instituted the the communion as he was gathered with his disciples to partake of the Passover. So, if you'll if you'll Grab a Bible and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to try to get through the Passover. And I've, uh, I think this was the hardest part for me putting this lesson together. And so uh, bear with me, please. It's, it's still kind of rough. Uh, it needs some work. But Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. We see uh, God instituting the Passover to the children of Israel. Um, recap real quick uh, the children of Israel are in, are in Egypt They're, they are slaves to Pharaoh uh, he's making them work awfully hard extremely hard and they're not really happy about it I, I've seen a couple of different uh, documentaries over Egypt uh, one thing that I always find very interesting is they're always a question about who built the pyramids. Um, I think the children of Israel built them. That's just my my opinion, I guess, as far as the world is concerned. I think the children of Israel built them. I mean, I can't think of any harder work than making brick without any type of straw and then having to haul it up a hill and stacking it in a nice little neat pyramid. I mean, that just manual labor in Egypt. I don't know what the temperature is in that desert, but I'm pretty sure it's not very cool. So whenever I see the pyramids, I think of the children of Israel suffering and how bad it must have been to have to work for those people. It was awful. So they're cried out and to God, God hears them. He grabs Moses and Aaron because Moses can't speak, and he sends them back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Uh, and so that's kind of where we pick up. He sends uh, the plagues upon the children of Israel, upon the land, and the the Passover meal is instituted right before the last plague. You know, God's gonna God's gonna bring down the hammer on these people, and you don't want to be a part of it. So we're gonna begin in Exodus chapter twelve, verse number one. It says the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. We have a lot of different important things that happen in our society today. Has, has any of them ever changed the calendar? I mean, this Passover is so important that God said this is how you're going to make your calendar. After this, after this Passover, we're going to arrange your calendar throughout the year in this manner. I mean, we've had, we've had uh, different wars. We've had people die. Uh, because of explosions from terrorists. They, all these different important people have died in this country. None of them changed our calendar. Not a single one of them. Our days still continue on day after day. Christmas is on this day. Thanksgiving's on this day. We celebrate Easter on this day. It just continues on. 
But for the children of Israel, and I don't know what their calendar looked like before this time, but God said, the Passover, here's your calendar. We're going to make it after this. And that, to give us kind of an idea of how important it was to them. Uh, verse number 3 says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it, according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be, shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now here we see the without blemish as far as their sacrifice goes. Not only was it without blemish, it was uh, they kept it up and took care of it as well. I find it interesting that uh, if your household was too small, if it's just you and your wife, you went into somebody else's house, your neighbor's house, and together y'all took this Passover with another family. It just, it wasn't two people having to try to scarf down this whole lamb by themselves. They shared it with one another uh, until you got enough people that, you know, you take me and a couple of these guys in here and, you know, we could probably choke down a lamb, I assume, we try to anyway. But it, it was a group of people that was partaking of this Passover together as a family. Uh, verse number 7. says, And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two uh, side posts of the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the knot, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire. His head with his legs, and with the prudence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of, of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, you shall burn it with fire. We well, have the children of Israel, they, they take this lamb... They get the blood of thereof, they put it on their doorpost, and then they start devouring it at night time. And whatever's left over, uh, they burn it up with fire. Verse number 11 says, And thus shall ye eat of it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat of it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Uh, I know that I didn't... Ha I, sh I should have put it on PowerPoint, and I failed to do so, but uh, you remember the, the, the Lord's Supper painting by uh, Da Vinci? You know, he has Christ sitting in the middle, and he got his disciples around about him. I think that was Da Vinci. Anyway, not Lord's Supper that, that he did. Okay, one thing that I got a problem with that is he's sitting down. The whole group is sitting down around this nice big table, and they're partaking of a meal like you and I would be today. Verse number 11 says that they, they had all their stuff packed. I mean, these people were ready to go. As soon as, soon as God comes in the middle of the night, he's going to kill all the firstborn children. 
and he's going to bring the hammer down. And then Pharaoh's going to say, get out of here. Pharaoh's mad. He says, leave. They were ready to leave. I mean, they had their staff in their hand, sitting there, horking this lamb down, and God says, you know, Moses says, we're, we're free, we're going. They took off. I mean, there was no time to, you know, kind of lollygag around and make sure I got everything, you know. Oh, wait, I, I might want to take this. No, no, I don't want to take that. I might, wait, I'll take this, you know. No, this was not like you packing for vacation. I mean, they stuffed everything in there. They were ready to get out of Dodge. Verse number 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Then we're going to skip on into uh, verse number 25. says, and it shall come to pass when you, when you become to the land which the Lord will give you, according to he that hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our house. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the, children, and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. This is a service that they kept year after year. These, uh, the bitter herbs that they partook of was to remind, to remind their children, their ancestors, of the, of the hard times that they went through while they were in Egypt. And I've I listened to a couple of different commentaries of some guys, and those bitter herbs were not good. I mean, I mean, whenever you say that your children shall ask you is what your children are going to be doing is murmuring and complaining, say, why do we got to eat this stuff? It is nasty. I think it has like horseradish in it and some type of onion. I, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to swallow. There's nothing pleasant about this meal. I mean, I'm, I'm not even a lamb fan, and man, this meal is not going to be an easy one to partake of, and they partook of it every year. But it was not something to be a joyous occasion. I mean, it was because God delivered their ancestors out of Egypt. He brought his people back to him. That is the significance of it. He reclaimed his children and gave them a promised land. You know, Christ, as we look at the Lord's Supper, Christ took this memorial that was already instituted and built upon it. He took something that, that the children of Israel were already doing and said, this is where we're going now with it. He said, this, this unleavened bread that we partake of, they, they had to sweep all the leaven out of their house. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me slow down some. Uh, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Paul was dressed in the church at Corinth. They weren't partaking of the, uh, of the Lord's table in the, in the correct manner. We're not going to look at that. There's, I'm sure there's a diff- hundred different ways that we could do this wrong, but there's only one way that we can do it right. And so we're going to look at how Paul 
told the church at Corinth to partake of the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 24, it says, And when he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. You know, just as Jesus told his apostles whenever he instituted the communion, uh, Paul tells the church at Corinth that this, the meaning of this unleavened bread represents Christ's broken body. You know, and as we partake of it, we are to remember our Lord and Savior's body that was a sacrifice for sins. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. Uh, you know, I, I always wondered why unleavened bread? Why can't we use leaven? Why can't we put one of those uh, Hawaiian, Hawaiian buns, you know the ones I'm talking about, that are real sweet? Why can't we use that? It'll still break. I can break that up for you. I'll break it up every, every Sunday. It, those things are awesome. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 8, we get, a little, we get a glimpse of why we use unleavened bread. Your glorying is not good. It says, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of serenity and truth. You see, what this leaven represents is sin. Tell you to purge out the leaven from yourselves. Purge out that sin. And so if we partake of, as we partake of this communion, if we partake of bread that has leaven in it, then what we are saying is that Christ had sin in his life. That is the significance of this leaven. If leaven represents sin, and we put it into the bread that, we rep that represents a pure and holy body, those, those two things won't, they, they collide, they, you can't do it. It is not possible. You see, this Lord's table is a memorial. We remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His body was perfect. For us to put leaven in the bread would be wrong. It would be an insult. It would serve us absolutely no purpose. We would not be partaking of it in a way that's pleasing unto God. That's why we use unleavened. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 and 22 says, For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I, I, I tried to wrap my mind around how important, how significant Christ's sacrifice is. You know, This, this man came and lived on this earth and never once sinned. Not once. I mean, for me, that's, I, I mean, I guess that, you know, is, is a reminder of how unclean I am, but I cannot imagine living in this world, living in the world that we live in today and not sinning. 
not having an impure thought. It almost is unimaginable. I don't know what that person would look like. I can't, I can't envision them. That's how much sin is around us in this world today. Can you envision it? Can you envision a person that doesn't even have an evil thought? But that's what it took. That's what it took for us to be reconciled to God. That is what we are remembering whenever we were taking of this unleavened bread. We're remembering that perfect sacrifice. First Corinthians 11, verse 25, it says, After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it, it remembers me. Just as Jesus told his disciples, his apostles, uh, when he ensued the communion, Paul tells the church of Corinth the meaning of the cup. He said it's the New Testament in Christ's blood. Hebrews 9, 11 through 13 says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. This is to say, not of his building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by, the, by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressors that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. A once and for all sacrifice for sin. This isn't a sacrifice that has to be done every year, but a perfect sacrifice. How much power does Christ's blood have? It has the power to cleanse all mankind's sins. Forever. Not just part of your sins. Not, not, not ones that you have just done in the past. His blood has the power to cleanse you for the rest of your life. His blood has the power to not only cleanse your sins, He cleansed sins over 2,000 years ago. His blood has the power to cleanse sins 2,000 years into the future. That's how powerful His blood is. You see, there cannot be an atonement to God for sin for that length of time forevermore unless it is perfect. That's what it took. You could take the best calf you had and you could take him to the altar. You could slit his throat and the priests do whatever they want to with him. 
and that got you one year. And then you had to go back and you had to do it again the next year and the next one. And not only did you have to do that, but your children had to do that. And your great-grandchildren had to do that. It went on and on and on. Christ came along, and his sacrifice was perfect. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the significance of this sacrifice. How important it is to me. I don't, I don't know if I can ever be thankful enough for that sacrifice. First Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. He says that we show those around about us till he comes. Whenever we gather around this table, this is for all to see. Whenever we partake of this unleavened bread and this fruit of the vine, that is showing everyone that I believe that I believe that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive my sins. He had the power to forgive the sins in the past. He has the power to forgive the sins in the future. And in one of these days, he's going to come. And I'm going to go home with him. That is what you are proclaiming whenever you partake of this Lord's table. That he's a perfect sacrifice for sin. Verse 27 through 29 of 1 Corinthians says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. A lot of people get, uh, a lot of people get hung up on this word unworthily. You know, Paul isn't saying don't partake of it if you're not worthy, because none of us are worthy. He is saying don't partake of this communion in an unworthy manner. Don't be sitting there thinking about, you know, don't the, the Rangers play in the Dodgers in L.A. I mean, that's, that's not where your mind need, needs to be right now. Honestly, it, you might want to start on Monday thinking about what your Lord and Savior did for you. Because by Sunday, we need to be in the game. You need to have your mind right whenever you become, when you come to this Lord's table and partake of it. Take everything else out of your mind. It's not important. Not as important as what our Lord and Savior did for us. Not that flesh and that blood that was shed for our sins. We need to come to this table remembering that sacrifice and we need to examine ourselves, examine how we are living our own lives. Next, I want to look at how often we are to partake of the Lord's Supper. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42, says, They then which gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So this first one, we, we see the, uh, those that were baptized, those that have obeyed the gospel, partake of the, of the unleavened bread. Uh, this breaking of bread, this phrase comes from, a, uh, it's translated in the Syriac, 
uh, uh, Arabic language found around the first AD, um, and it's translated the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is just another one of those words that means uh, the Lord's table or communion. So there's there's a few scholars that uh, will argue with what that breaking of bread means, whether it means the Lord's table or whether it means a meal. But as far as the other languages that these scriptures were written in, they point to the Lord's table. Acts chapter 20, verse number 7 says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So here we see the disciples coming together upon the first day of the week to break bread. And again, this comes back as Eucharist in other scriptures. So, King James people might argue with you whether this breaking of bread means a meal or if it means communion, but the other ancient texts that we have all point to communion. Uh, I like this one. I, I heard Sean talking about this one time. I think it was Sean. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2 says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. How often do you think every other congregation in Wheeler and Hemphill County, we'll just take both of them into consideration, how often do they pass the plate for collection? I bet you they do it every Sunday. I bet you they do it twice on Sunday, and maybe once on Wednesday. And you will like go and ask all their preachers and elders and deacons, give me scripture showing that I should contribute once a week. And they'll pull this one up. They say it's commanded. It's commanded that you pass a plate once a week. That first day of the week in this scripture is just the same wording as we used in the last scripture about taking of the Lord's table. Why don't you do it? Why do you think Paul was telling them to take up collection on the first day of the week. I don't have scripture to back this up, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Because they were already gathered together. See, they were already gathered together partaking of the Lord's tables. He said, hey, while you're gathered together, take up a plate. There's going to be people in need. Take up a collection and help them out. Strive with one another. You see your brother suffering, help him out. Last part I want to look at, and then I'll close. Is it important? Is it important to take communion? Is it very, uh, is, I'm going to read quite a bit. If you would, turn with your Bibles in uh, John chapter 6, verse number 22. John chapter 6, verse number 22. Christ just got through walking on the water. Uh, Says the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit that there came a boat into Tiberi Tiberius not unto the place where they did eat bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to a 
uh, Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when comest thou hither? Jesus answered them and, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat with which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto the, you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who, the, who hath whom he hath sent. And they therefore un, unto him, they said unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and be, believe thee? What doest thou what dost thou work? Our father did eat manna in the desert, and it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily I say unto you, Moses gave not gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is of which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of the, him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent, sent me. For of all which he hath given me, I should loose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. And, then they, and they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in, in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath, hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Now that any man hath seen the Father, saith he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drinketh his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, 
and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Can you live forever with our Heavenly Father if you don't partake of this Lord's table? If you don't eat of it and drink of it, will you have a home in heaven? The scripture goes on to say that there were many among him that after he got through speaking that believed it not. They could not follow. And he lost several followers. This unleavened bread and this fruit of the vine gives us life as Christians. It represents our Lord and Savior's body that was broken, that, that bled for us. He was a perfect sacrifice for our sins. If we don't partake of it, we have no life in us. If we don't partake of it in a worthy manner, it's damnation to ourselves. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.